Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.me. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout the week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download your apps. Now let's get to this week's message in our You Asked For It series, a series designed from questions we've received from you. life for me on social media and you already know the good news I'm about to share come on anybody Woo. yeah if not you are behind the times so here you go here's what happened this weekend we closed on the building Friday we now own it and construction has begun and you know when something has a beginning it has an ending July is what we're expecting we think actually maybe even just a little before but uh, we will be worshiping in this Instead of here by July, yeah, I'm excited. Can't wait to tell you guys, that's going to be fun. Air conditioners that work the way they're supposed to, no lines in the bathroom. I mean, and it's just, there will actually be lines in the parking lot. Now, some of you rebellious people, it's going to be tough for you. Y'all like this idea, just park anywhere you want. Somebody took my space. I'm going to make another one right here, just right in front of the door. Going to have to actually park and... All right, anyway, so hey, listen, you know, so we have gotten to the point. Construction has begun. We did close on the building. So you're saying, great, we reached the goal we've been working toward for years. Why should I keep giving to the building fund? I'm so glad you asked. Because here's what's going to happen over the next six to seven months. While we continue to have church here, y'all can go ahead and change that. While we continue to have church here, we will also be paying... For our second home, uh, that you know, and y'all know what it's like to have two homes. Come on, anybody with a beach house here? You know what I'm talking Yeah, I didn't think so. All right, so when you have two houses, cost a little bit more to mortgage payments. So uh, we need to continue giving to the building fund because we've got to pay for that building and this one, as well as there are some things to do with the land clearing and paving and so forth that we are doing in cash that we didn't do in the loan because we just reached the point and said that's all we're borrowing. We're, we just don't want to pay back more than that. that that's enough. And so everything else we're going to do in cash. Uh, you guys have been phenomenal in your generosity. You've given almost a million dollars this year toward the building fund. That's worth your yeah. clap for the person beside you. So I, I think, you know, 300000 over the next seven or eight months uh, should be easy to do. All right, so we're in a series today, part two of a series we began last week. And really the only thing that makes it a series uh, is that we're answering questions. Every question is going to be completely different. So where did we get these questions? Well, we got them from you. If you were here earlier in the year, we gave you some cards and said, hey, what would you like us to talk about? What would you like us to preach on? You know, if, if you've been around, you've already heard before. We're always about a year in advance and planning. I can tell you everything we're preaching already next year. And we wanted to ask the question, so is there something on your heart that maybe we didn't get into some of the other series that we've planned? And so we took six of the questions you've asked Uh, that seem like they would apply to the majority of us, and we're answering those one at a time. So every week, completely random idea. You have no idea what we're going to talk about from week to week. That way you can't figure out which one you want to skip. That's the way that works. All right, so today we're answering a question, a huge question for many believers and especially non-believers in the world. Am I supposed to take the Bible literally? Wow, good question, isn't it? Don't have to raise your hands for it, but that's definitely a good question. I mean, after all, there are some stories in there that are kind of tough to, to follow. You know, this whole guy getting swallowed by a fish, three days later, spit up on ground, 
You know, God created the world in six days and it's less than 10,000 years old and Lazarus came out of the tomb after four days. I mean, come on, y'all. There's some crazy stuff in the Bible. You know, but what you believe about the Bible really comes down to where you were raised for the most part and the family you were raised in and what your beliefs were. I, I happen to be raised in the Bible Belt. I'm literally right here from, uh, we're going to follow that word in a minute, South Carolina. And it meant I grew up going to church here in South Carolina, Presbyterian in the morning, Baptist in the evening. <laughs> My family was Presbyterian Baptist. That's, that's what happens when you get parents from different denominations get married, you know. It's funny, we're more concerned about those labels than being a Christian, but that's another sermon for another day. All right, so back to the point. Uh, you know, I went to church all the time. I just thought everybody believed what we believed. Everybody believed in God. Everybody believed the Bible. And then there was this time in elementary school. I met this kid. His name was Kevin, and he had a members-only jacket. All the millennials think they're cool because they're watching Stranger Things, and they're trying to identify with us like they're one of us. You're not. We, look, if you were 80s, come on, 80s people, anybody here? There you go. We had a members jacket, members-only jacket. That's it. Anyway. All right, so here's the point. I asked Kevin, where do you go to church? He said, I don't. The first time in my life somebody had ever answered that question that way to it. You don't go to church, but how do you worship God? Well, I don't believe in God. I think I about fell out of my chair. It was Miss Brown's class in elementary school. I could not believe this. It was the first time I discovered there's two groups of people. But at least at this point, I only thought there were two groups of people. There were the people who believed in God and therefore believed everything in the Bible because they just went hand in hand, right? And then there were the people who didn't believe in God, and so, of course, they didn't believe in the Bible. And then that got busted up when I went to middle school. By the time I got in middle school, I had a new Christian education director at our church, and she told us one Sunday morning during Sunday school that the Bible was folklore, folk stories to inspire us to believe in God, that it wasn't actually true. Oh, my goodness. You mean there's a group of people who believe in God but not the Bible? I don't know what to do anymore. I'm all mixed up. Well, it turns out this whole question of how should we believe the Bible is huge debate. Many, many questions in our world today. So I just want to begin today with asking this question. Where are you? Do you know what you believe? Have you, have you found the place, what, what you can struggle with in the Bible and what you, what you are good with in the Bible? I, I think that some of us here today probably believe everything, even the things you don't understand. You're good. You don't care. You're a Christian. It's in the book. Leave it alone. We've got some of those people. Then there are some of us who would believe parts, especially the New Testament stuff. That's a whole lot easier to swallow. The Jesus stories, they're fun. We can get along with that. Then there's other parts we just don't want to think about. Of course, then there's the fact that some of us don't read the Bible, so we're not even sure the parts we don't have to believe, but that's another sermon for another day too. Come on, that was funny. And then some of us think it's just written as a guide for our faith, but I mean, not really to take all of it as fact because some of it's probably just metaphor. And then the truth, there's a bunch of us in the room that just, we don't know what we believe and we're good with that. You know, we, we're, we're okay with the fact that we don't have answers to questions. We'll wait and figure them out when we get to heaven as long as our friends don't ask. I don't care if Jonah was real or not as long as my friends don't ask me if Jonah was real because I don't have an answer for that. That's where some of us stand. So what we usually do at this point in the message when we've all agreed upon the dilemma that we have is we say, well, let's see what God has to say about this. But that is the dilemma today now, isn't it? Does God actually have, I mean, is this from God and can we believe what it has to say today? 
So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to go ahead and look at what the Bible has to say. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, just take a little trip into what the Bible says. And you can wait till the end to decide if you want to believe that. Is that okay? Can we do it that order? Will you guys be good with that? All right, so we're going to look at two passages this morning to start off back-to-back together that make certain claims about the Bible. And, And so we've got to at least see what the Bible says about itself before we know how we should interpret it. 2 Timothy 3 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God. There's a fancy Greek word, theonoustos, there that says it came from God himself. He's the producer of it. He's the one that gave it. So God gave us Scripture. Why? So it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. If you've been around Grace Life for a while, you know I like to to make the word righteousness something we can understand. The best way we can understand is it makes us right with God. So scripture, according to what it says, is good for helping us learn how to be right with God in our relationship with him, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Everything God would call him to do, we should be able to get equipped to do based on scripture. And then the second passage that we need to look at this morning comes out of 2 Peter, and it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, if we take these two passages at their face value, there are three very important claims that we're going to have to deal with this morning. The first claim is this. All Scripture is from God himself. The second claim is that it is for teaching us how to be right with God, and therefore everything that we need to know in order to be right with God is in it. And then third of all, even though man might have held the pen, God was in charge of what got written. Now, the reality is I might have just answered or or created 10 new questions in your mind. You may have many objections to those three statements, but that's not actually the question we're here to answer this morning, so I'm not going to jump in that end of the pool. But I am not going to leave you hanging either. If you're not good with those three statements, I'm going to let you know we've already kind of answered those or did answer those in a series called The Bible. It is on our website. It's not on our app because it is before we did video, and we don't have those on our app. But if you want to get more answers in terms of history and science as to those three statements, can they be trusted, then go back to our website and look for a series called The Bible. But what we're going to do today is we're going to move forward, and just, if you would, with me, could you just say, all right, Jimmy, I'm not sure about that, but what if I could accept those three statements? And some of you are good with those three statements. Some of you are totally against those three statements. And some of you are trying to figure out where, okay? So for this morning, in order to answer the question, how am I supposed to read the Bible? Am I supposed to take it literally? How am I supposed to interpret God's message to me if it is God's message? Can we just go with what if those three were true? Can we do that for a minute? Everybody can do that for a minute? Just what if, okay? Because what we need to do is ask, okay, even if this is from God, how did he intend for us to take it? Did he intend for us to take every story as though it actually took place upon the earth and time? Well, that is the question before us today. Am I supposed to take the Bible literally? Are some of these passages, especially the most unbelievable passages, maybe they're just metaphors for life. I mean, maybe they're from God, but not meant to be taken as fact. Or maybe there are some parts that we are supposed to take as fact, but which ones? I'm not sure about that, right? Or is the Bible... Maybe not fact at all, and it's just inspiration for our faith. So to answer this question, if you'll allow me, I'm going to entertain the nerds, and the rest of you are just going to have to hang on. Can we do that? Nerds in the room, raise your hand. Come on, anybody? Got to be proud to be a nerd. Thank you. There you go. We're going to take a little nerd trip. It turns out the problem, the problem with asking if we should take the Bible literally uh, and how we should interpret religious scriptures didn't begin with us. 
It's not a question that we started in the Christian faith. It's not something new. It's not something that came from the 1960s or the 1970s, as you may think. No, this question is actually way older than that. So let me bring you back in time. When the Old Testament was written and God was speaking to his people in Old Testament times, there was a phrase that was used. And no one would dare to question the phrase. If this question was spo- if this phrase was spoken, whatever followed it now was your law, it was your life, it is your new truth. And that phrase was, thus says the king. If someone came around to you and says, thus says the king, tomorrow you will bring him everything you own. Well, <laughs> tomorrow you're poor. Because that's just the way life rolled. When the king said it would be, it was. And there was only one option. Believe it. There was actually another option, and that is you could challenge the messenger to be a liar. I don't believe the king actually said that. I believe you are a liar. But that was risky business. Because if it turned out the messenger was true, you died. And if it turns out the messenger was a liar, he died. So it was risky business to challenge, thus says the king. Most people didn't take the gamble. Thus says the king, it is now a law. So this is the context in which the Old Testament was written. And repeatedly, over and over and over, there's a phrase that shows up hundreds of times in Scripture. You want to know what that one is? Thus says the Lord. If what the king says is law for my life, there's no way I would question what the creator of the universe, what the one who set us free from Egypt, what the one who gave us the promised land, the one who did the miracles. There's no way we would question that. So to the people who read the Bible prior to Jesus, thus says the Lord, and over and over the implications that the the things that were written there were from God, they would never question. This didn't even happen then. But then there came a point in history where we did begin to ask the question. As I said, it's not just in the last few years. It's actually about 2,000 years ago. It's about the turn of the millennium when Jesus was walking the earth. Here's what happened. Roman conquest was at its highest, and Greek philosophy was at its highest. This problem actually started with the Greeks. You see, they were smart, and they were thinking of everything, and they were coming up with all this wisdom on how to understand the world and understand humanity. And so they were saying, look, the entire world looks to us for our truth and our wisdom. Our philosophers are the best that there are. I mean, come on, when your team is winning, you're cheering for your team, right? You know? And so that's what the Greeks were saying. But here's our problem. If we're Greek, we also have religion. How do we handle our religious teachings and how do we still claim that we are the wisest people in the world? (gasps) I've got an idea, said one Greek man. We will turn all of our religious teaching into allegory. Now, for those of you that didn't do well in literature class, that means it's a metaphor. It doesn't actually mean what it means. It means every story has a hidden meaning behind it and it's just there to inspire us. So about 2,000 years ago, the Greeks were the first ones that said, let's make our religion allegorical, metaphorical, not literal, and let's come over here and let's take our human reasoning and let's elevate it above everything else. Well, that problem just went on because the Jewish people who loved God and lived on the earth at the time, they wanted to be the cool kids on the block too. Well, hey, we don't want to be like, you know, the dumb religious people over here that believe in like that God or whatever. You know, hey, the Greeks are really smart and the Romans rule our government. Let's play along. We want to be smart too. Yes, Greek wisdom. (laughs) Okay, so we've got to turn some of our stories into allegory. That way we can look smart too. And then in about the 1500s, somebody stood up and said, enough. Either God's word is God's word or it is not. 
And so about the 1500s, we had the Reformation, if you've ever heard of that. And one of the biggest fights that took place was to say, we need to take the Bible literally. Now, there's still a caveat there, because when they said that, they had a definition for literally that we don't all mean today. The word literally in the 1500s was to be taken as those words mean what they say at face value, that the average person can understand them. And so if you were to ask me in the 1500s, am I supposed to take the Bible literally? I'd say, yep, now let's go to lunch. The sermon would be over. But then a new attack began. Because as they began to win that war and they began to bring people back to believing that God's word was God's word and it was to be taken to mean what it actually said and you were supposed to take it literally, not allegorically, the enemy said, well, let's just get, we'll pick a new fight. Let's just pick on the word literally. And so today we have people that use the word literally in a different sense. My daughter is in first grade, and she has discovered this as her new favorite word. I don't know if this is like a first grade vocabulary word or if her teachers just use it or something. But everything she says now, the word literally fits into the sentence just somehow. I'm literally hungry. I literally would like ice cream. No, literally, Daddy. It has to be chocolate. Like literally. I mean, I hope she grows out of this phase. But to show you what happens, this is what happens in our house because she also has two brothers. When you got three kids under 10, they fight about everything. Any parents in the room know what I'm talking about? Do you ever reach the point where you say, just shut up? <laughs> of course, the pastor would never tell his kids to shut up, right? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I was just thinking, I, don't, I won't do one of these on biblical parenting, but that actually is one of the questions. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> So she came downstairs because she's the late riser. She's the one that can sleep through the day. She truly sleeps like a baby. Looks like an angel. Of course, I'm kind of partial to that. But anyway, she came downstairs and said, I literally slept all night. And then one of her brothers, who just wants to be a mean brother, says, no, you didn't. I saw you get up and go into mommy's room and sleep. Oh, you mean if she got up and went from one room to another for 60 seconds, she didn't literally sleep all night? Well, some people use that word to mean that. And so people have now begun to use the word literally to say, since the Bible has some things in it that aren't literal, you can't believe the Bible. You want to follow what I'm talking about? It comes out of Psalm 113, and it says this. From the rising of the sun to its setting, does the sun rise? Does the sun set? No, the sun doesn't move at all. The earth moves, right? The earth moves. The sun has not moved. And we now know this that we did not know then. So everyone now jumps on and says, well, you know, our understanding as humanity is getting wiser. And we are starting to see now. We know things that Scripture did not know. And so Scripture is incorrect. You cannot take it literally. And if you can't take it literally, who knows what else was meant to be taken? Not literally as well. Maybe Jonah never actually existed. Maybe he didn't stay in a well for three days. Maybe there is some sort of other picture that we are supposed to get out of this but the reality is there are many things that we should be able to take literally in the sense of matter of fact we should be able to take i need to correct myself because i'm about to mess up there we can take the entire bible literally in the sense of the 1500s movement that every word should be taken at what it is meant to mean but we cannot take every word literally in the sense of its its, its most absolute meaning Follow this. Jesus was in the tomb for three days, right? That would be 72 hours. That would mean Easter doesn't come on Sunday, but Monday afternoon. Well, that's a problem now, isn't it? 
So here's what has happened. As many people have said, we can't believe in Scripture because Jesus wasn't in the tomb for three days. And they've got a whole list of examples of where the Bible isn't literal to the most absolute sense of the word. But see, the, the truth is, it was absolutely correct. And it was literally correct to the people to whom it was written. Because in the Jewish times, they counted any part of a day as a day. If they went on vacation for four days, all that meant is they had to start vacation before midnight and get home right after midnight on the fourth day. Any part of a day was a day. So the fact that Jesus was in the tomb part of Friday, all of Saturday, and part of Sunday, for the Jewish people that this was written to, it was literally correct. Because it was three days in their culture and their understanding. So for you to ask me today, am I supposed to take the Bible literally? My answer is, I don't know, because I don't know who's asking. I don't know if you are asking me, am I supposed to read the Bible and take it at face value that when it shares a story, that story is real, that the words are supposed to mean what they seem to mean? I would say yes. But if on the other hand, you're saying, can I find one little fact that violates science like the sun setting and rising and then know that the Bible's not true because I tried to take it literally to you? I would say no. So what I am going to do today, since I can't answer the question because I don't know who's actually asking it, is I'm going to tell you how you should take the Bible. I think that's just a better way for us to end up. Is that okay with you guys? So here's how we should take the Bible. The first way we should take it is it is God's word. The Bible is God's word. It has to be more than inspirational writings by men because it itself claims that it is from God. It is breathed out by God. It is directed by God at its writing. And here's what we need to understand most of all. If that claim is wrong, then everything is gone. Everything is gone. Our whole basis of faith comes from Scripture itself. And the minute that Scripture begins lying about itself, then we can't believe any of it. And the ultimate problem we would have is this. Every human on the earth has inherent guilt. And they know it. You don't have to go very far. You don't have to work very hard to convince someone that somewhere, something inside of them says, you don't meet the standard. You're not good enough. You've done something wrong. Every human knows this. It doesn't matter what country they're born in. It doesn't matter what their family is. It doesn't matter if they're atheist, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, Christian. It doesn't matter. Everybody feels like they violated some sort of a code and there's something they must do to get right. I doubt you'll find many people that don't have that in them. Only one. Only one book ever written in all of history answers that dilemma. And it's salvation by grace. And it comes in the Bible. You see, any other religion that you'd go and find says, yeah, you do have a problem there. Ooh, well, you can try really hard. And if you try really hard, you might make it to nirvana. Well, if you try really, really, really hard, you might be good enough that gods will accept you as a certain one of the number. There's a limited number. <laughs> Turns out, you know, getting to heaven has nothing to do with, you know, good enough or not. It's all about space capacity. There are some crazy religions out there, y'all. No, there is only one place, one place that you can find the answer that says, we agree, you'll never be good enough. And that is why God himself chose to sacrifice his life out of love for you. You see, if we begin to doubt the claims 
of the Bible that makes that claim? And why are we here? It absolutely must be God's word because everything else we believe depends upon it being so. The second thing is it must be our authority. And you may think that's the same. No, it's not the same. Here's what I mean. If God exists, if God exists, you with me on that one? If we worship him, not ourselves, then we live according to whatever he says. If you live in my house, you will live according to whatever I say. If I live in your house, I will live according to whatever you say. So if God exists and I say I worship him, he is in charge of my life. Whatever he says is what goes. It's not what I feel that's my authority. It's not what I want that is my authority. It's not what others are doing that is my authority. It's whatever he says. And there's only one book that claims to be what he says for us about how to live. And the third one is, it is trustworthy. It absolutely is trustworthy. As long as we understand in the Bible, there is cultural meaning. Three days in the tomb makes sense when you understand to whom it was written and you understand Jewish culture. As long as we understand that everything in the Bible must be read in context. When someone takes a story out of context and they no longer know how to explain it, they need to put it back in its bigger picture. As long as we understand that everything in the Bible was written in certain genres, there are different types of literature. If you go to the movies and you watch a comedy, you will expect a laugh, right? Yes. If you go to the movies and you watch a drama, you might expect someone to die, right? Yeah. But if you go watch a superhero figure, there is one person you know will never die. That's the superhero, right? I mean, come on. Batman never dies. He's never going to die. That's why this whole Batman versus Superman movie was just stupid. It goes against all humanity to have the heroes fighting each other. Something is wrong, right? You see, when you understand the genre, that's how you get that idea. Well, in the Bible, we have things that are history. And when you read history, you're supposed to believe it is history. And there are things in the Bible that are are, are poetry. And when we read poetry, we're supposed to take them as poetry. And, and there are things in the Bible that are wisdom literature that we know are supposed to represent truths of God's ways upon the earth. We know there are things that are in the Bible that are symbolic for end times in which we should believe the main point, and that is Jesus is coming back. Right? But at the same time, not argue about the details that we don't know how they're going to go down until we get there. That's my opinion on Revelation and you may say, so how do I know that, Jimmy? I mean, I've just got this Bible here. How do I know which parts are history and which parts are poetry and which parts are wisdom and which parts are gospel? Hopefully you get those. Which ones are letters and which ones are apocrypha? What? I mean, how, how do we know what is what? Well, I'm glad you asked. And if you noticed, the little Bible that normally is up here with me is not here today. I've got this big one. And it's because, you know, I got up early and I didn't have time to go to the gym. So I just wanted to be able to stand here and still get my workout in while I preach this morning. No, actually, uh, the reason this is here is because this is what I think every Christian should own, and that is something that says study Bible. I'm recommending to you this one. If you want to, you can take a picture of that with me in it. Because <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just in that mood today, sorry. I don't get royalties. The people who write this and sell it, they don't even know I exist. So this isn't for me. But out of all of the study Bibles I've ever seen, I've, I've found this has the best content and the best answers to your questions. See, the reason that a study Bible is so big is not because they found extra scripture. There is no extra scripture. There is a ton of answers to questions that you ask. I think every believer needs a study Bible. 
because every believer needs to be able to answer some of those questions. There is a, an answer. I need you to understand this. There is an answer to every question ever been asked. And I know it's new for us. Pastors keep answering the same questions, and we answer the same questions that pastors answered 100 years ago and that pastors answered 100 years before that. There is no new question, and there is a legitimate answer for every question out there. And just because your science teacher couldn't give it to you does not give you a reason to doubt the Bible. There is an answer. You just need to get that answer. Because here's the thing. You should not have to go to seminary to be able to believe the Bible and follow God. That's why you need a study Bible. It will answer those questions for you. You should not have to have coffee with the pastor once a month to be able to trust the Bible. No. You can do this for yourselves. But you know what we do most of the time? We don't care. We get gadgets all the time we don't know how to use fully, right? Come on, raise your hand if you don't know half of what your smartphone would do. I gave my wife Alexa for, for her birthday. And, and she's gotten to the point of saying, Alexa, do this. That's as far as she's gotten. Her birthday was like three months ago. On the other hand, well, I've done the same. I, but then again, I'm an Apple person. I don't care what Alexa does. All right, so, but we've got a 10-year-old in our house who has taken it upon himself to learn how to do everything that Alexa can do. He has Googled everything. He has programmed Alexa to do things for him. He has hijacked our house. He can say and has, Alexa, turn off the TV. Well, I'm watching the TV. How dare you? Do you want your life? He has bothered to learn about the thing that he wants to know about. The problem for Christians, crazy enough, is we're okay not knowing. And, I mean, that's okay if you can still trust God and his word. But if you have questions that are hindering your faith, please, please, please do not keep Alexa in your house without learning how to use it. Get a Bible, a study Bible. Don't carry it to church. Don't carry it to work and act like a nerd. Nope. Leave it at home where you read your devotions every morning. So, what if everything that I've said so far is bogus? What if everything I've said so far has not won you over? Here's what I'd like to, to point out most of all. The things that are miraculous in the Bible should be taken as miracles. You know why? Because the craziest story in the Bible is not Jonah being swallowed by a well, living three days inside a fish and being spit out on dry ground. No, the craziest story in the Bible is not someone being raised from the dead after four days while their sis his sisters cry. The craziest story in the Bible is not the entire uh, people of Israel crossing on dry land only to watch the water swallow those who were trying to attack them. The craziest story in the Bible is not that God said, let there be and suddenly there is an earth. The craziest story in the Bible is of a virgin teenager who said that the father was God himself, who later gave birth to a man who went on to be crucified but said nobody did it to him because it was all voluntary on his part simply because he loved people, who when his body went missing, the story actually claims that, nope, no one hid it. It was raised from the dead by God. That he actually hung around and taught his disciples for about 40 days, popping in and out of rooms, and then suddenly just ascending into heaven. That's the craziest story of the Bible. And here's the reality. Every believer believes it. That's what makes you a believer. 
So to be a Christian, who can believe that? But not that the God who could do that could put a guy in a fish for three days. It's simply illogical. I don't mean to step on your toes or insult anyone here this morning, but if you can actually be a Christian and believe in Jesus, then how can you not believe the easier miracles in the Bible? And how about this? If you like Jesus, if you don't even care about anything else I've said this morning and you just like Jesus, you know, it's actually cool just to do what Jesus did and to talk about Jesus in the church world. And it's actually even cool in the non-church world to talk about Jesus, even non-Christians like Jesus. What did he have to say? Well, first of all, Jesus literally called the Bible God's truth, a noun, not an adverb, not an adjective, not a descriptor, but truth. He said God's word was truth. Jesus referred to Jonah and the well as a fact. Jesus referred to creation by God as a fact hard to have a savior who believes in such bogus stories if they weren't real wouldn't you say so the real point i want to make today as we close let's just say everything i've said so far is really an introduction to the main point can can you give me two minutes to make my main point today thanks appreciate that i want to make sure we don't miss what's really going on here's the true point and the real issue at hand especially because we just finished a series on spiritual warfare The Bible is the only source of revelation we have of who God is, of what his nature and character is, of what his plan for salvation is, as to what his promises for us are, what his purposes for creation would be, and what his expectation for mankind is. The Bible is our only source for life and grace and truth, and the enemy knows it. His first strategy, the scheme that he has been employing since the first time there was ever a conversation with mankind, was to see if he could get us to not believe it. Started out like this in Genesis 3. Now the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say? No, 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 no. Did God actually mean? I mean, come on, was God literally when he said, don't eat of the fruit? Does God really want your best when he said he did? Does God really mean what he says? Has been the strategy of the enemy since the beginning of history. Because he knows if he can get humanity and especially the people of God, to doubt, dissect, or discredit any part of it, then our faith is at great risk, and actually, I would go as far as to say indefensible. Matter of fact, the reason I think we have such weak arguments with our non-believing friends is because we're asking them to believe something we only believe part of. It makes our faith indefensible. Indefensible. He knows it, and his strategy is working with many. And the question I leave you with this morning is will it work with you? Will it work with you? How should we take the Bible? As God's word to us. After all, if he can't control it and what it says about him, then he's not a God worthy of our worship in the first place. I want to close by talking to those of you 
just a minute ago, we were talking about Jesus and his voluntary sacrifice because he loved us. The thing we need to understand is that wasn't for all of humanity. It was for every single individual, for every person at one point in time to look Jesus in the face and say, thank you that you died for me. Now I want to live for you. If you've never made that exchange, I want to help you do that this morning. You don't have to stand up or come down front, but right where you're seated, would you all join me? Pray something like this to yourself, to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at Grace Life Church. Oh,